It's hard to have radical empathy for older people when you just don't understand their reality. So not only that, you're going to be one. Like old age happens to other people. Like I, I always thought that I was like, well, I'm 25 forever, right? It's just it's the cognitive dissonance there is a lot. Well, and even older people are ages because of subjective age. You're like, well, I don't feel old and I'm not old, but those people are, and they're exactly the same age as you. (laughs) Welcome to Longevity Gains, the show that reveals the near limitless opportunities for digital marketers and entrepreneurs in the longevity economy. We're talking about the people aged 50 and over who already account for more than half of consumer spending in the U.S. and 83% of household wealth, which will only increase in the years to come. It's the $22 trillion opportunity you can't afford to ignore. So, Jared, tell me, how long have we been working together? We are coming up on 10 years, Brian. It was January of 2014, and here we are in December of 2023. That is both amazing and incredibly sad for you. <laughs> and the interesting part of it is, obviously, you know, you started off at Copy Blogger Media right when we were hitting eight figures, you know, really hit, hitting the, the stride. And uh, we had an entire leadership team that were Gen Xers. The guy you came over with was a Gen Xer. Your fellow VPs of marketing were Gen Xers. Mm-hmm. And you were the millennials. So you have faced just brutal ageism for the entire decade I really that have. we've known each other. Except it's, it's in reverse because... <laughs> yeah. We make fun of you because you're not old enough. <laughs> right. Right. Like the, <laughs> the worst part of it is just not getting some cultural references that I have to fake laugh to in the moment and then go look up later. So I'm prepared for the next time. <laughs> and now you've got me and Trudy who are just yeah. amped it up even worse. And yeah. now here's the thing that's really working against you because now Trudy and I are like, he didn't get that, did he? We can tell <laughs> your fake laugh. Yeah. And, you know, I think. Didn't Trudy give you like a 30-minute lecture on the cure so you would understand? Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. I go to her after the fact. I'm like, Trudy, t- tell me what I need to know. <laughs> That's great. Um, yeah, but in reality, all jokes aside, it's not a joking matter. I mean, most people won't really even think about ageism because, again, subjectively, we generally go, hey, this I don't feel old, you know? And uh, then you get to around age 50, and then things change. Like, the statistics are pretty pretty dire. If, if you leave a job after the age of 50, odds are it's not your choice, right. right? Now, age discrimination is illegal in the United States, but that it doesn't really mean anything, right? So you have layoffs, and it just so happens that you get rid of a couple low-performing young people and an older person who you just, even though they're doing great, you're just like, well, it's time to clean house on the older people. And we talk a lot about 
this topic, uh, obviously, in Longevity Gains newsletter, how the perpetual labor shortage combined with low birth rates and and longer and healthier lifespans are inherently forcing changes in the workforce. And it's going to be slow and people are going to be f- kicking and screaming, which is odd given how valuable uh, empirically by data older workers are based on experience, wisdom, productivity, the whole thing. But there are a couple of industries that make the general workforce look downright altruistic to older people. Mm-hmm. And one of those is advertising, which we talk about all the time, and it's got to change. And it, the fact that they crave younger workers is the reason why they don't understand the older market, which is, it's like a self-fulfilling doomsday prophecy. Uh, and the other one, of course, is the tech industry, which I really think needs to get its act together. And we're seeing some indications, at least from VCs, that they're clued into the longevity economy, age tech in particular, but obviously it's bigger than that. So change has got to happen. It does. Well, and you know, and to me, that's what makes our guest this week so interesting and such an interesting person to be hosting, you know, conversations about this topic, which she does on her podcast is she has seen this, uh, you know, up close firsthand, um, you know, and is still, she's old enough that she's experienced it, but still young enough that she's not kind of fully in the throes of it yet, but can see it, can see everything that's coming. Um, you know, and really starting to ask a lot of the right questions about what we need to do next. Yeah. So I first ran across Maureen um, on LinkedIn, where we follow some of the same people. She interacted on my posts, and I was just like, this is fascinating because this is an early 40 something person who is talking about the same issues we are, uh, but especially from the perspective of someone in the tech industry where 40 is effectively your cutoff date, uh, which is as ridiculous as 50 or 60. Um, but ev- it even it's even more ridiculous. But what really struck me about it is I can't believe that, you know, we've got an elder millennial here who is in the cause. She's yeah. in the movement. And I just, I at first, I almost didn't know what to make of it. I'm like, well, maybe we'll have her on the podcast. So Jared will have someone to talk to. You know, it'll be nice. <laughs> but the more i thought about it and i realized that we have to change these attitudes and these dominant powerful industries tech and advertising have to change um and uh i love it that that she is is basically fighting the good fight and increasing awareness and just the more people understand this built-in cultural ageism that we all carry with us, it really is eye-opening, right? Because it is a prejudice that we just take for granted. You know, I have changed a lot of words that I use in, you know, since, since starting to focus on this. And, uh, but I, I never really thought I was being like a prejudicial person, especially to myself, you know, when I would make old jokes about myself. But uh, anyway. Well, no, you know what's interesting about that, though? And people are going to hear this when they listen. I think the most compelling part of the conversation is where 
you know, we get into talking about how the casualness of it is almost worse. <laughs> you know, it's not malicious, yeah. but how casual it is is almost worse in terms of diagnosing it and potentially fixing it. Oh yeah, in in the wrong or right circles, depending on how you look at it, you make a racist or sexist comment, and the whole room is going to stop and look at you, right? Um, and if you're in a room of like-minded people who are that way, then you know you're in your safe space, but you can't say that stuff in the general population. But ageism, I mean, it's just so casual. It's just, yeah. and and I see people younger than you saying casually ageist things, and I'm like, who, and this is a, a person with a business who serves other businesses, and I'm like, who do you think's running those businesses, man? Like, you're not even cognizant of the fact that you are insulting decision makers in the very companies you're trying to attract. So it is a very practical and pragmatic thing to get over the casual ageism. But we're going to dive a little deeper and go how things need to systemically change in order to really maximize not only societal value, but economic value. Uh, from the longevity economy. So let's talk to Maureen, and uh, I think you're going to enjoy this one, everyone. Maureen, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. And I got to say, ever since uh, I guess we ran across each other on LinkedIn, we were kind of kindred spirits. But what's fascinating to me is you're about, I don't know, 15 years younger than me. And I'm like a young person in this anti-ageism field, right? Like me and Bradley Sherman are the only Gen Xers. Everyone's like 60 or 70. Uh, and then along comes a millennial and talking about ages in the, in the tech industry. And I'm like, wow, that is fascinating. And the more I thought about it, I'm like, this is important though, because we keep talking about how the workplace has to change and adapt to older workers in general, but the advertising industry for one and your field, the tech industry are just hugely important to the longevity economy. And yet they are the most resistant and the worst offenders of an even more extreme form of ageism. Like when Mark Zuckerberg said, young people are just smarter, I already hated him for other reasons, but that didn't help, you know? So no, he's it's he's, he's, <laughs> he's 40. How do you like that, Mark? Yeah, Welcome. Mark. Welcome <laughs> to the party. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, though, let's uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Um, so I do want you to talk about uh, what led you to it gets late early. But first, let's let's go back in time a little bit and talk about your background, how you got in the tech industry, and how you're you're dealing with the current issues. Okay, well, I will try to keep this succinct. Uh, I got into tech by accident, like truly by accident. I was living in New York City. I was working at Court TV. I thought I wanted to be in broadcast journalism. And I decided that I needed to get out of it for a few reasons. One of them was that I had at Court TV developed a sense that literally everyone around me was a serial killer because that's what we reported on almost exclusively. So I was like, this is a nightmare that I'm having. 
currently. I think everyone's out to get me. This doesn't seem like a healthy way of living. So perhaps I should exit stage left or stage right. I forget what the saying is. But I also recognize that women in that industry were pushed out of the industry at an alarmingly early age. And so you saw the older anchors, men anchor, male anchors, able to keep on going, even if they were gray and whatnot, but all the women were kind of kind of, kind of pushed out over time. So I thought, well, that's, that's kind of a, a limiting career for me. So that was another avenue of it. But at the time I was, I mean, it was way back when monster.com was a thing and I would just apply to anything that basically didn't require a cover letter. That's where I was in my life in New York city. That's all I cared about was like, how can I spend as little time on, as possible on looking for this job? So I got in at Bloomberg where they didn't require a cover letter. And that was my foray into tech originally. And then, so I stayed, you know, I think people pleaser, elder millennial here, geriatric millennial here. And I, over time, just got better and better at what I was doing. So I started to like it, right? And so you get better job after better job. And I just kind of, even though I unintentionally got into tech, I wound up staying there and enjoying it, right? Um, And then it struck me when I was 37 years old, when someone called me, I, I, I was called a dino at 37 when I was at my tech startup. And I was like, holy crap, wait, he's right. I looked around, I was like, my CEO is not even 30. My boss is younger than I am. Like, what is going on? And that set me off on the path of looking through the tech industry and really dissecting it and seeing if this was as it appeared in this tech startup for me outside of the the four walls of that company. And what I found was pretty alarming because I saw that even at larger tech entities, there was a markedly younger workforce in play. And I was like, not good at math, but supply and demand, like, where do these people go? There are only so many positions up the career ladder. And I'm just afraid that if I don't get somewhere fast, I'm going to be pushed off entirely. So I had this really sort of stressful self self, uh, pressure to ensure that I was continually moving up the career ladder so that I could preserve my place in that industry. So I started to ask other people around me, hey, have you noticed this? And it turns out, yeah, they had as well. And people just kind of were like, oh, yeah. Yeah, all the older people they they go off to Microsoft, the country club, they live there or they become consultants or you know and I was like this just doesn't all add up for me. Like I I don't understand how this can persist when, you know, we're living to 100 and no one's saving enough for retirement. Like this just not everybody gets rich off their options, right? So it just it really perplexed me and I started having conversations with people about it and I realized that this was pretty much the only thing that hadn't been added to diversity, equity, and inclusion programs that was, to me, a glaring omission. And PwC actually put out a report about DEIB, and 92% of initiatives do not include age as a factor, even though it's a known underrepresented group within the tech industry. So it gets late early as an exploration of that subject, and it's, it's my mission to change it. Yeah, that's a fascinating omission. You know, they call ageism the last great prejudice because everyone gets older unless they're unfortunate. Um, and yet we live in a pervasively ageist culture. But the really weird thing to me is this whole demographic shift where the population is getting older and that's going to keep happening due to longer lives and falling birth rates. And yet, the ism that applies to an aging society is the one that, well, I have seen things start to change a bit. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating thing. Um, 
you had on your podcast recently, and I'm blanking on his last name. It's Dan. He worked at HubSpot. He wrote a book about it. Dan Lyons. Dan Lyons, right? Jared, do you remember? Okay, so we were in the WordPress business before I sold the company. So we never really kind of liked HubSpot anyway. And <laughs> But I remember it was just such a big deal when Dan Lyons um, went to work there and then it turned out it, it it appeared to be like an inside hit job from the beginning. Um, but it's still a fascinating story. I mean, what did you learn from his perspective, uh, I guess, in a nutshell? I would encourage everyone to go listen to the episode. But what were some of the insights you gained from him, who was uh, obviously a little bit older when he was at HubSpot? Yeah, well, I would say, first of all, I agree. That episode was hilarious. Dan is hysterical and everybody should go out and read his book. It's fantastic. It's called Disrupted, My Misadventures in the Startup Bubble. And it's just, I can't even begin to tell you how much it made me laugh, but also kind of cry because it was he was hitting the nail on the head on exactly how ageist this industry really is. But what I really loved about his interview was he was also really self-reflective and he wasn't, he was intentionally not even naming the company itself because he recognized that yeah, they did some things wrong for sure. There were some major problems with the company, but he also realizes, you know, he he had some self he, he had some unforced errors himself. Like he made some mistakes along the way too. And he he certainly said like for example, if it were today that this thing had happened where a CEO had gone on the record to the New York Times and said essentially we don't value older workers, he wouldn't go blast his personal Facebook for one. So like, he's like, I've learned, you know, maybe there's, there's a time and a place. And sometimes you should just, you know, be quiet or be super mindful that what you say can and will take on a life of its own on the internet. So be ready for what comes that way. Right. Cause he, and he says this in his follow-up book, which is called, can I swear on this podcast? Of course. I want to make sure it's called STFU, which stands for shut the fuck up. And it's all about the power of of being quiet and listening in a world that's endlessly noisy. He said it's the title of something a little bit different than that. But he's like, if I had just been quiet and like kept my head down and maybe talked to them behind the scenes instead of blasting my Facebook, like I might've been able to stay there and my equity might've been worth X, Y, Z dollars down the line, right? So he he learned that perhaps biting his tongue would have been the appropriate thing to do. So it was neat to hear him as he, you know, decades later found himself in a company in tech still in DocuSign that he absolutely loves and he called his twin flame job, um, a t- twin flame employer. He he had learned so much. And so he was he was able to recognize the shortfalls that and shortcomings that he had and missteps he had made along the way that led him to where he is now. So it was a nice sort of walk down memory lane, but it wasn't all just like let's let's dump all over this tech company. So I don't know. I th- what did you think about the episode? Um, yeah, I think, uh, Dan has become much wiser. I know that at the time the book came out, even people closer to his age were kind of like STFU, you know, I mean, because (laughs) it, it came across a little sanctimonious. Um, and I think he's learned from that, but he, he spotted very real issues. And yet I think I have an understanding that I'm a little more forgiving because ageism is so pervasive that I don't think younger people necessarily are being malicious. No. And right. And it's just kind of ingrained. And that's almost somewhat worse, you know, because you can be casually, oh, I did. It's like, 
men used to be able to say something to a woman and go, oh, I was just joking around. Well, thankfully, most of that is is being eliminated. Some men are not happy about it. But, you know, just being casually sexist isn't cool. But casual ageism still still happens all the time. Yeah, Jared, do you remember Dan Lyons and what he... Like we all knew who he was before the book came out, and I forget he had like a blog or something. Oh yeah, he was uh, the diary, the secret diary of Steve Jobs. That's right, he was the Steve Jobs guy. Okay, the, this is not age-induced memory loss. I just have not thought about this in a long time. <laughs> okay, that was kind of an off-the-cuff thing, but I remembered that episode, and I was like, that was really insightful, and I loved his. Uh, um, this is what happens, you know, and this is why older workers are so valuable. Insight, wisdom, uh, evolution, the Things ability like to grow, okay. right? Mm-hmm. You know, the idea of the cranky old man just isn't usually correct. Um, so anyway, I, I really encourage people to go listen to that one and, and all of the episodes that Maureen's done because it's a it's a really good show. Um, so with the project... Uh, it gets late early, which is a reference to uh, people think you're done before you think you're done. And and people who are 55, 60, 65 are saying the same things right now. So it's really disturbing that we have very powerful industries. Um, and I want to get into this a little bit more because tech in particular can play a really big role in the longevity economy and serving older consumers, but I don't think they can do it with the current mindset. We'll get to that. But I wanted to kind of explore your motivation. Um, Obviously, this is an important issue to you. Uh, We talked to Ashton Applewhite, who is a pure anti-ageism activist, right? She is in it, not for the money necessarily. She's in it for the cause. Um, As marketers and entrepreneurs, we have to walk both sides of the fence. So um, in last week's uh, Longevity Games newsletter, we talked about how uh, some are foreseeing the rise of age experts. And these are the people who are going to come in uh, to various companies. Tech would certainly be one that needs it. um, And just basically facilitate training and education so that they understand how to work with older people and, and the benefits of such. Because once companies embrace older workers, when they take the leap, which shouldn't be a leap, but it is, um, they find that older people are just as productive. Uh, they learn just as quickly. All of these misconceptions just fall away. And yet getting people from A to B is the battle. Is that something you you, you kind of see yourself wanting to do with, with uh, it gets late early? Whether it's me or someone else, someone's got to do it. It's really important. And I think there's been a lot of progress in, at least in awareness building around other biases in the workplace, but this is one that's been left off the table. And I think that's a huge miss. I am not kidding myself and thinking that companies are just going to wake up one day and think that they give a shit about this. I absolutely think that the only way that they will is when they recognize that there's a loss of shareholder value creation that's on the table if they don't do so. And so my hope is that we can get at some research that will actually suggest, well, if you don't have an age-diverse and multi-generational workforce, here's what you miss out on. And it's you know more innovation, better outcomes, more profit, et cetera. Um, so I, I really, really hope that I can get at that sort of data 
or someone can get at some of that data, I think it's going to be certainly a slog to uh, to find. But I think it's really critical in order to get it uh, pushed up the pushed up the agenda of companies everywhere. Um, there's also the risk of it being akin to greenwashing in the environmental movement, right? Where it's a really a performative thing. Oh, we care about people of all ages at this company. We'll prove it, right? Like, I want to see what you're actually doing. I want you to actually peel back and look behind the curtain and see, are you actually representing people of all ages at your company? Do you have diverse representation up and down the career ladder there? Um, And I just think that, unfortunately, the way our system works and the way our society operates, it's going to be unlikely to happen until and unless companies recognize they're they're missing out on on cold hard cash by not doing that. Um, but I absolutely would love to have those conversations with people. I think there's so much just basic information that people don't know, and there's so many things that are are really latent in our just day-to-day lives and and the way in which we speak colloquially with one another, these stereotypical phrases and these associations and biases that we have of older people, right? Um, And you see it in the language and job descriptions, for example, with tech companies. I mean, digital natives, we know exactly who you're looking for. Like, oh, you want a ninja? Uh Uh-huh. Sure. Yeah. Do you picture a 55-year-old plus ninja? I don't think so. Like, And when you're offering free beer on tap and happy hours and whatnot, we know who you're talking to. Like, at my age and beyond, that's not sexy anymore. I want to see childcare stipends. I want to see your 401k plan and your match. I want to see all that sort of information, your health plans. Like it just shifts. And so if you only offer one side of that equation, we know what you're saying without you saying it. Right. And so I think it's really important to just bring that to the forefront and get people aware of it. First and foremost, I think change is going to take a while. You know, people like Ashton Applewhite have been at this for a while. Sheila Callahan at Age Equity Alliance, uh, Bradley Sherman uh, of the Super Age and Human Change. I mean, there are people out here, out there doing this work, you doing the work that you're doing. Uh, so it's, but it's going to take a big concerted effort from many people to spread the awareness about this. And, you know, I view this as sort of a perversely beautiful thing. This is a, a country in a world that's so incredibly divided. This is the one thing that really unites us. So why don't we all get behind doing away with these stereotypes and doing away with this discrimination? Because it's going to get you and it's going to get you sooner than you think. And you're going to wake up and be like, holy shit, I am suddenly a protected class, which is what happened to me. And my podcast is probably just a big midlife crisis. So hopefully some good can come out of that. <laughs> it's not nah, any <laughs> no midlife crisis that's a that's a naughty word it's a transitional period anyway <laughs> um but i love what you said there because effectively what you said uh, mirrors the theme of longevity gains which is the bottom line is going to make this happen when you've got a group of people that control 83 percent of all consumer spending and household wealth i mean and ignore it, you can't ignore it. And so I always say marketing got us into this mess and marketing is going to get us out of it, despite my affection for the anti-ageism activists like Ashton and all of the, all of them. I think we're allies because it's a hard truth. I mean, companies look at dollar bills, y'all. <laughs> it's that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to make the difference, you know. So the creation of youth culture at the beginning of the baby boom generation was a cash gold rush, and now those same people are being ignored, and they have more money than ever. It's crazy, but here we are. It's ridiculous. It's ludicrous, and um, you know, like you said, this is not 
focusing on people of the older generations is not merely philanthropy. It's an economic imperative. And so tech companies, marketing, marketers, advertising agencies need to wake up to this. And, you know, we, we just, I think we're just so ageist. We, I mean, and it's, it's not even our fault, right? Like we've been fed this lie our entire lives that to get older is to get worse. And I just, I categorically despise that because I can tell you I'm, I've, I'm better than I've ever been before. I'm more confident. I'm more happy than I've ever been. Like that is bullshit. And especially for women, we are told that it's a, a sin to age and I, I hate it. I'm not here for it. I'm done with it. And I just want to spread the word that that's not true. Maureen, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, some of these kind of biased phrases, right, that we'll have in job descriptions, you know, you know, some of the ones that you, uh, you know, that you mentioned earlier. And you did an episode recently with Sandy Mattis, I believe is how she pronounced her name from Textio. Uh, you know, and they're, that's basically like a software company, and they help organizations hire and retain diverse talents by removing bias from job descriptions, from performance reviews. Like, do you see some of these techniques like that as being impactful moving forward on just some of these inherent biases that we're seeing throughout the process. Absolutely. And I think their success is, is one that gives me a lot of hope. I know that there are other companies trying to operate in the same space. There's obviously a lot of a lot of discussion around AI, the hot, hottest topic in the world right now, right? And, and the dangers that it poses and bias data in, bias data out. And so I think this is going to continue to be a point of emphasis. And I know that uh, Textio does actually uh, put some emphasis on age, and I'm hoping to see more and more of it uh, because I do think that that's going to be instrumental in getting us out. Right? We do need to have these systematic, systematic, and systemic ways of approaching the problem and ensuring that that sort of language is removed. Because again, people don't know that this isn't necessarily malicious, right? Like people don't think about this. They don't think about how it sounds when you say you want someone who's hungry and innovative and um, has energy. Like they, they aren't thinking, you know, I'm going to expressly, um, at least the good ones are not doing that expressly. But um, when you actually peel it back, you recognize that that's typically what that language really means and who they're seeking to find. So people need to recognize that and people need to be, pe people need to be called out on it. Right. And, and it's really, I think it's um, very hopeful and positive to see companies like Textio out there working on this problem. Yeah. You know, another theme that I've noticed in your episodes, I think uh, Ross talked, Ross Pomerantz talked about this, John Parisi, uh, you know, talked about this, which is essentially like rethinking how we value what older people can bring in the workforce, right? I mean, you know, techniques and, 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 you know, certain, you know, uh, actually, you know, things that we do to get a job done can change, but the strategies, the overarching wisdom can, is still the same, right? That, that stuff might not necessarily change. And that's a lot of the value that, you know, an older worker can bring having seen, you know, decades of what can happen and different trends and different cycles. And, you know, so this idea, you know, and, and Ross kind of summed it up where he's talked, he talked about how leadership and experience are underappreciated. And older workers like to be in, in mentor roles and help, you know, work with, with younger employees. And younger employees can crave the mentorship and crave the guidance. Do you think that there are a lot more things that we can do to, to kind of bring those two groups together as we start to rethink, you know, how we're, we're incorporating this wisdom into the workforce? 
hundred percent. Um, we, we are barely scratching the surface of that. And Adobe just did a survey recently of Gen Z talent and asked them, do you want a mentor? 83% of them said yes. And 52% of them said they actually had one. So wow. the younger generations, they're hungry for this. They're, I shouldn't use that word, right? <laughs> but they are dying for this mentorship. They're dying for the wisdom of the people who've gone before them in, in the world of work. And I know John Parisi was actually one such mentor of mine back in the day. I mean, he he was instrumental to me in helping show me the ropes at, at work and showing me, you know, this particular industry that he'd been a part of for a long time that I was just entering. And there was this really nice give and take, right? And I see it myself. I, I work with two young men in their 20s and they help with my podcast and I get so much from them. So mentorship goes both ways, right? Um, it, it doesn't necessarily have to do with age, but I do think that companies are sleeping on this, that there's so much to be gained. Um, I know you you might be familiar with Chip Conley, two of you, are you? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. So Chip and Brian Chesky from Airbnb, the relationship that they had, you know, Brian Chesky being the young founder and Chip Conley being the experienced hotelier who came in to help with Airbnb. I mean, that was a beautiful relationship too, that was bi-directional. He was the mentor, right? He got as much as he gained. And I really think that that sort of a pairing is really important. It doesn't necessarily have to be around age specifically, but I think that we should facilitate these types of connections in the workplace more than we do, especially now that there's so much remote work. And I actually, my heart kind of breaks a little bit for people who are in their earlier stages of their career right now, because I think about all the wisdom and all the just know-how that I absorbed from being associated with my colleagues who were older than I was at the time at work. And it just seems harder to do remotely than it was, you know, in person. And so that just, that bums me out. And especially when you, when it's underscored by the, the results of that study that Adobe did with Gen Z. So people are yearning for this and they're not getting it. So I think there's a big opportunity there to, to pair people up. You know, and I wonder how much just, you know, how fast we're always going, you know, and how we've, you know, got to make money and on to the next thing. You did a recent episode too, where the theme was about slowness and slowing yeah. down and how, you know, just personally it helps for companies, it helps, you know, and, and that's the thing. Like, I don't personally, I don't have a ton of experience in the corporate environment. You know, do you, do you think that those kind of relationships aren't facilitated or don't foster quite as much just because there's such an emphasis on speed and productivity and get this done that there's not enough time taken to actually facilitate relationships between people that could be better in the long run, but you know, might not be the most efficient thing to do today. I would say that probably depends on the team and the organization. Some companies really care about it and some don't. And, you know, I've been at organizations where my manager never missed a one-on-one where my manager would set me up with a mentor, like a specific mentor that he, usually a he, frankly, had sought out and selected and orchestrated within the organization. So I've I've had it be as, as wonderful as that. I've had other organizations where my one-on-ones are routinely canceled. There's no such mentorship program. There's no sort of uh, career progression or training or any of that sort of thing to foster that sort of development. And so it really depends. And I think that is something that I would, if I were, you know, interviewing for a role with a company right now, and granted tech is a little bit of a, a bloodbath right now, but if you have the ability to be a little choosy, that would be something that I would be asking through the interview process is like, what is the career development? What does that look like here? Do you have mentorship programs or not? And certainly you don't necessarily need 
a mentorship program, like a very specific one that's actually official. You can do these things behind the scenes. You can make it happen. And it doesn't even have to be as awkward as like, hey, will you be my mentor? You know, there are ways to facilitate learning and the development that don't have to be set up in that way. Right. But um, it really does depend on your boss. And, you know, there are a lot of bosses out there who don't necessarily care that much about their direct reports development. There are plenty of bosses who are really in it for what's in it for me kind of things. Right. So they might want to just get as much out of you and take the benefits and maybe even reap the, uh, the accolades and whatnot for themselves. So it just really does depend, but I think it's really important and it can really make or break an employee experience. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Jared's been trying to get me to mentor him for 10 years and I'm just like, dude, you know, I'm busy. Let me Brian caught the hint. (laughs) Okay. Starting now. Right, yeah. Pay attention. No. <laughs> uh, no, just all all seriousness. Um, so, Maureen, you know, it seems to me the work that you do and the work we're trying to do really begins with trying to just just correct misconceptions and knock down stereotypes as a beginning point because you can't go anywhere with with perceptions that are just wildly inaccurate. I mean, most of them. Um, might have been true at some point, think, but things have changed. And some of them were never true at all. It's just, you know, that that ageist impulse in us. Um, for example, going over to the other super ageist industry of advertising, um, we've got data that shows that, you know, the marketers and agencies are just wildly misinformed about things there are statistics for you know they're they, they're supposed to be data driven and yet they think exactly. gen they think gen z spends way more than they do and they think <laughs> and they think boomers spend way less than they do and so they invest wildly disproportionately they are are way off on brand loyalty um, older people will switch. In fact, they will punish you these days if you treat them poorly in your or ignore them in advertisements. Well, Gen Z, I don't know. My kids don't have any brand loyalty at all. It's like memes with them or language. <laughs> like try to say yeet to your kid these days. You're like, dad, please don't say that. That was four years ago. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, so in looking at all these misconceptions, then you get this shocking result that the the people who have the most misconceptions are all under age 35. So the people that the advertising industry just can't wait to hire more of, and the tech industry is the same way, are the most misinformed and misguided. And and this is not a slam against older people, but you know, when I was a 20-something, I mean, how much perspective do you actually have on the world? You don't, you haven't developed it. It's something that comes with age, right? Um, it's hard to have, you know, it's it's hard to have radical empathy for older people when you just don't understand their reality. So not only that, you're going to be one like old age happens to other people. Like I, I always thought that I was like, well, I'm 25 forever. Right. It's just, it's the cognitive dissonance. There is a lot of well, and even older people are ages because of subjective age. You're like, well, I don't feel old and I'm not old, but those people are, and they're exactly the same age as you. hundred <laughs> percent. Um, so I guess ultimately, so for example, something we've covered here, uh, on the technology side is age tech, which 
is a huge segment that's going to get even larger. Um, There was just a symposium, I think about six weeks ago, where VCs are finally like, wait a minute. Okay, this is a thing. This is a big deal. We're going to start funneling more money into it. And so what are you going to do? You're going to go fund a 25-year-old with for age tech? Like, how do you do product development without the perspective of older people? <laughs> you do it well, but there's such a hubris in the tech industry, right? That they just know everything and that they don't need to be, you know, involved in the trenches with people actually going through something. And I think it's a very similar beast to what happens in the advertising industry. But, um, you know, like you said, the VCs are waking up to this huge market opportunity, right? Because old people equal money, right? Like, (laughs) I mean, I have watched several relatives fall into uh, their older years and and the amount of care that's required and how to facilitate that. Like there are tech solutions that are possible that can actually do a lot of good in the world. And I, I suspect that if they don't have a very healthy representation of people in the older age demographic who have experienced caregiving issues or have watched an elderly parent go through something like their end of life towards the end of their lives. I think it's going to be really hard to serve something up that's going to have product market fit and they're going to make a lot of costly mistakes. Um, And I really, I mean, I hope that they can wise up and not do things like that, but I'm not so sure. I would be really curious to find out the data behind the average age of the age tech founder. and the employees, the rank and file employees at those companies, that would be very fascinating to see if they've actually decided to employ people who are more like the target. Um, and, and maybe that's the other thing to keep in mind too, like perhaps the target customer is not necessarily the older person, uh, him or herself, but actually the caregiver, right? Or right. someone of the next generation. Um, I think part of this is just we all have such a struggle with our own mortality, like coming to terms with it is so difficult for us. And so it's something that we just kick the can down the road on, right? And no one wants to believe it's going to happen to them. Um, and so I think that's a part of this too. And when you when you are young, death or even aging at all seems so far down the line that maybe people are more comfortable with it. And so they could possibly be like employed by, I don't know, but it'll be really interesting to see if we can get any sort of data and insights on the employee age or the founder ages of age tech companies. But yeah, I just, I think you really need that to be in the arena and like understand what it's about to build the right product. Cause absent that, I just don't see how you can come to market with something that's impactful. Yeah. And it's also interesting that so much of age tech now is really focused on that late, late end of life sort of care. Um, What shocked me was the statistics about how many people over the age of 80 live on their own without any sort of assistance at all. We all think it's so many more people. We think so many more people have dementia. It's a very small percentage. It's way less than half. So part of that needs to be recalibrated because I think there are opportunities um, for younger, older people, (laughs) if that makes any sense, um, as well. I mean, the most popular consumer company for people over the age of 50 is Apple because they market based on great tech and values and not demographics. So it's not, I've fallen and I can't get up, but your Apple watch is the best fall detection technology on the market, right? 
You fall off your bike when you're 20. That's one thing. You fall down when you're 70. That's another thing. It's the same technology. Um, and there's a lot to learn from that. Like when Warby Parker, which was, you know, the darling hipster brand for millennials added progressive lenses, older people flocked to them because they had the features and, oh, wow, you know, uh, older people like cool glasses too. You know, that's, these are the perceptions that have to change where it's not necessarily, you know, it's not certainly not some big demographic bucket. 50 to 100 is one group. Yeah, that makes sense to me. (laughs) Um, But I think it's one group. Yeah, that's right. That's how advertising thinks of them to the extent they think of us at all. Um, (laughs) But getting getting to something else you mentioned, I mean, this is something I want to run by you because you've you've had some inside perspective. But um, one of the things that people are shocked to find that the average successful tech founder is 45. Um, Most of the new businesses being started of of any variety, not just tech, are people in their 50s and early 60s, meaning successful. You know, people can start businesses when they're young, but their odds aren't as good, which tells you something about wisdom and experience and all of that kind of thing. But my, what occurred to me when I was preparing for this conversation was, I bet those 45-year-olds are serial entrepreneurs and they get funding because they already have the connections and all that kind of stuff. Meanwhile, the average 50-year-old with a great age tech idea that's a winner because of actual perspective uh, may not get funded. What do you what are your thoughts on this? I think you're 100% right. I I think and I'd love to find data to back that up, but that is my gut sense as well that the people who are getting funding in their 40s, 50s, 60s and beyond in the tech space and and possibly otherwise too are those who have done it before. They have the proven track record. And it's so funny how it seems like venture capitalists are so happy to just hand money over to the unproven younger types and and how they wouldn't give the same benefit to those who are older who hadn't done it before, right? It, it's, it strikes me as crazy because there's this thing called life experience and you learn as you go on in time. And whether it's from a specific type of industry or just general life knowledge, like that's super valuable too. I know so much more than I did at that time of my life. And I can only imagine the mistakes that I would make if I were running out of the gates with, you know, millions of dollars in venture capital funding back then as compared to today, even if we're a brand new industry, even if I pivoted, like that blows my mind. Um, But there really is this desire that there's this archetype. There's this trope of like the boy wonder in the hoodie. It's like Sam Bakeman Freed. It's Mark Zuckerberg. It's like, you know, 30 under 30. That is what they're looking for. I mean, Peter Thiel wouldn't fund anyone for a scholarship who was over 23. I mean, uh, Paul Graham, who's a founder of Y Combinator, said that people get skeptical after age 32 when it comes to founders. I mean, I had multiple guests who talked about this as a problem. It's it's very real. And as you mentioned, like the data doesn't back it up. The top 0.01% of successful founders are 45 on average. That's just the reality. And so I really, I really want to learn more about why this is. And that's really the whole pursuit of the podcast is really exploring how did this obsession with youth start in Silicon Valley? What, why are we here? And how can we debunk some of these myths so that we can blow this industry open and make it better? Right. Because Wisdom is severely undervalued in this industry. And I I just, it it boggles my mind how companies don't understand 
just the incredible gift that they have in older employees and how, how, especially if it's an individual contributor, how often the case is that they will lose the older experienced employee, perhaps to save a couple bucks, but with them walks out the door, all this incredible capital and knowledge and mentorship potential. It like, it, it, it just, it, boggles my mind. <laughs> it really does. I'm, I'm totally with you. And now AI is going to be doing the coding. So we don't have that excuse. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what you know, do you have? John, oh, sorry. No, no, go um, ahead. Go ahead. Say that John Parisi on his episode, he said something that I thought was really interesting. He said, you know, I'm a 63 year old man. I'm looking for a job in the tech industry. Uh, and I think AI is fantastic. And the reason I do is that it's a level playing field. Anyone of any age can get in there and master it, learn how to use the prompts and actually make themselves better, take themselves to the next level in their job versus have AI take their job, right? And so it is kind of a democratization element in this, in the sense that it hasn't been around that long in the public domain where we can actually get our hands on it. So it's it's open, it's an open field, right? Like anyone can go do it, open season. Yeah. yeah, and I've seen people actually say that a combination of wisdom and experience with AI just eliminates every objection to the productivity concerns of older people, which are not true anyway, but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. anyway, yeah, I, I'm as perplexed as you are, but people are talking about it now, and that's how it starts. That's how it happens. One's awareness. So I'm feeling really hopeful. I think this is coming up even in just modern day society all the time. It's coming up in media representation, maybe not advertising, but media representation. You're seeing people of an older age demographic starring in shows, movies, you know, et cetera. They're becoming the protagonist instead of like a punchline, which is really, I find it to be really heartening. And it gives me a lot of hope that it's not all downhill from here and that we can, you know, the whole saying, if you can see it, then you can be it, right? Like if you actually see people in your organization who are older and actually doing well, if you see people on the screen who are protagonists, like all of that, it all adds to something really impactful at the end of the day. And so I'm I'm super encouraged by it. I really think it's going to change, but it's going to be, it's going to be hard fought, right? For sure. Well, I can't think of a better way to close the episode than that. That was excellent, Maureen. Thank you so much for joining us. Let people know where they can find you uh, to listen to those podcast episodes, connect with you on LinkedIn, all of that good stuff. Awesome. Well, I'm available wherever you get your pods. So Apple, Spotify, Google, you name it. I'm also available on uh, itgetsleteearly.com. And then I'm on all the different socials. Maureen W. Clough on LinkedIn is probably the one on which I'm most active, but I'm on Instagram at It Gets Late Early and Maureen W. Clough. So I'm all over the place. I'll make sure that I get the links to you so people can follow along. But yeah, I'm just really excited to be learning alongside everybody else and and, uh, doing this work. So grateful to be here. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And we will get those links in the show notes for everyone. Maureen, thanks again. 